if you're trying to live the Christian life apart from the means the Lord has designed for us to enjoy and cherish, it is a very unhappy existence. And I, again, I think that's why we see stories of people walking away from the faith and people bombing out in, in their life and ministry. Welcome to the 30 Second Book Club podcast, a place for people that want to read more books and be in a book club but don't have time to do either. You know, this has been a tough year for everyone, especially people in ministry. So Daniel Henderson has written a book kind of targeting that called Glorious Finish, but it's, it's for really anybody. Uh, who is just struggling with their faith and just needs a reminder of what? <laughs> why are we doing what we're doing? All right, so let's start here talking about um, the mystery and morphing of our motivation. We all want the purest of motivations. Let's, okay. let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit because I think um, especially, you know, we all think that we have the best, um, we, we've got the best motivations we're the ones that's right. Everybody's wrong. Maybe this is a really appropriate for recording this on election day as well. So how do we examine ourselves to make sure that we do have those, the motivations that are pure and that come from God? Well, even Paul uh, said in uh, first Corinthians four, he wasn't even sure what motivated him at times, but I do think that again, as the book really unfolds, the fruit of our motivations become obvious uh, as we, uh, you know, are, are implementing life and ministry, um, you know, we can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And, you know, the why behind everything is something we really have to evaluate. And I, I think probably the, the things we see in other people are often a mirror for ourselves. And I think when we observe in others, uh, some things that drive, tend to drive them and uh, maybe things they obsess with. I think that's often a mirror for our own life. But ultimately, you know, it just requires that daily time before the Lord with the scripture that pierces to the division of joints and marrow and is a discerner, here it is, of the thoughts and intentions of our heart, right? Mm. And so I do think, and that's why the book is uh, really so foundationally rooted on the importance of rhythms of personal worship because I think that's where our motives are often exposed before the Lord. And that's where we get the handles we need to begin to reevaluate some of those things. Speaking of worship, I thought this was interesting. Uh, you put in the book that you believe the foundational habitual pattern that sets the trajectory for either a glorious finish or a dishonorable disqualification is the daily choice between worship and neglect. <laughs> that, that, that's a powerful statement. I, I really, uh, I, I think it's, it's great, but you know, how do we make that choice? What, what, is, what does that look like in everyday life? You know, maybe how do we not fall into that neglect as opposed to worship? And, you know, we might think, as you were just saying, you know, uh, with our, um, our best intentions, we might be thinking, hey, we're, we're, we are choosing worship, but maybe we're choosing neglect. What's the difference? Yeah, I often say, Andrew, that the hardest thing about the Christian life is it is so daily. And uh, I think that's so true about the choices that we make every day. Uh, it's easy, I think, especially the longer you've been in life or ministry, um, to run on autopilot, to think, you know, I've, been, I've read the Bible a few times over the years, and uh, I went to church last Sunday. But if we neglect that daily abiding, recognizing we, we have to derive our life today from the one in whom we live and move and have our being, uh, the one who imparts to us all sufficiency for the Christian life, if we begin to neglect that, you know, it really does, as I said, set the trajectory for a life 
that ultimately may wind up in, in dishonor and disqualification. And I tell the story in the book about a conversation with one of my mentors, Peter Lord, who's in his mid-80s, and he reflected on all of his ministry colleagues over the years who did not finish well. And he's the one that reminded me it came down to one thing, and that is neglect. You know, our, our Christian life is a vital, life-giving relationship with a living Savior. And, and you just can't skip that. You know, it's like physical food to our bodies. It's like air to our lungs. Uh, and that is a life of genuine personal worship before the Lord when we put Him front and center in everything we are, everything we have, everything we do, and choose to seek His face just for the pure beauty of who he is. I thought this was another good line from the book. Of all the qualities that matter on the eternal scoreboard, humility is one of the most significant. Now, I know this can be a difficult path to take, especially if maybe you're a pastor of a of a really uh, popular church. Or, yeah. you know, maybe, and for me, this is something I have to check myself a lot, and I probably don't do it enough, just being a radio personality and having people, you know, look at me in that position and how do you make sure that humility is the quality that's on the top, the most significant in your own life? Well, I appreciate your confession, Andrew. Of course, I've been there, done that, pastoring large churches. But uh, one of the things I learned from a mentor years ago, I've never forgotten. He said the key to humility is a high view of God. And humility is seeing ourselves accurately in light of a proper understanding of who God is. And that's why I proposed in the book that humility instinctively follows after worship. Because if we worship well and we, we maintain a high, holy view and experience of God, uh, then the natural response of our heart is going to be humility. It's like Isaiah, Isaiah 6. We know the story well. You know, my eyes have seen the Lord. Well, how can you be proud in light of that vision? You know, he says, woe is me, I am undone. And so that's why that rhythm of daily worship, I think, really fuels uh, a heart of humility uh, that has as its primary reference point, not what people think about you, not how big your platform is, uh, not the opinions of, of respected colleagues, but really rooted in your understanding and intimacy with God. I thought it was kind of interesting. You talked about this, too, that in this culture that values self-reliance, why is that a fruit of spiritual neglect? Well, again, if we're not abiding in Christ, depending on Christ, it's going to be very easy to rest on our laurels. And as I said a moment ago, to just kind of instinctively go on, on Christian autopilot. And, you know, the scripture says, some trust in chariots, some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And we just have so many ch horses and chariots today, right? They, mm -hmm. they look different, but it's it's technology, it's entertainment, it's you know, again, it could be the history of our Christian life. It could be the support of friends. It could be finances. And so, again, if we neglect our worship, we begin to fall into self-reliance versus humility. And I think those are the fundamental things that set a trajectory for our Christian life. And, again, those daily choices are so powerful and yet so essential. So let's go here. Um, you talk about integrity, which of course is a very uh, a big thing, not just for pastors, but for all of us. But you know, what is what is something that you know we can miss out or miss um, when it comes to integrity? Because you, you talk a lot about that. What's something that a blind spot maybe we have on this? You think? Yeah. The yeah. The background of me writing about this, Andrew, and I mentioned this in the book, is that two of my three pastoral assignments 
were, uh, I call them OSHA assignments, cleaning up the mess, right? Uh, on the heels of a predecessor who had a very high visibility moral failure. And in one of those cases, it had been a, a duplicity had been covered up for many years. And, you know, so people ask you, you're the next guy in, how can that happen? You know, how can you marry and bury and baptize and counsel, and yet you've got this, this secret side of your life? And so in the book, Andrew, I, I say that the opposite of integrity is compartmentalization, where we kind of just build walls between our personal life, our family life, our thought life, our public life. And integrity is where all the pieces fit together, the idea of integer, but all the pieces fit together, a life without walls uh, and a transparency that that I think comes out of a genuine heart of spiritual authenticity and, and biblical healthy accountability so that my life is a life without walls. I'm not compartmentalizing or hiding one part from another part. And and I think that's really what integrity is all about. And it shows up in our walk with the Lord. It shows up in our relationships, our finances, and a lot of other areas. You also talk about in the book uh, about avoiding dangerous dissatisfaction. And I thought, you know, as you were just talking about there a little bit, you know, there's this easy way you kind of get into this Christian autopilot. So sometimes, I don't know, I look at dissatisfaction of, you know, maybe that's good because you know, maybe God's putting us out of our comfort zone or maybe he's trying to push us somewhere else. But, you know, what is dangerous dissatisfaction? Yeah, that's when we are no longer satisfied with the sufficiency of what we have in Jesus because we're not experiencing it. You know, we're, we're trying to find, as I talk in the book, you know, from a perspective of self-reliance, we're trying to, to make ministry or life more of a professional thing. We get entitled you know, we realize that, that our life isn't what it's supposed to be. We can compartmentalize, and, and that's just not a satisfying way to live. Ministry in life that is not really rooted in an abiding relationship is very dissatisfying because a Christian life, it's not just hard, it's impossible. Hmm. <laughs> and so if you're trying to live the Christian life apart from the means the Lord has designed for us to enjoy and cherish— it is a very unhappy existence. And I, again, I think that's why we see stories of people walking away from the faith and people bombing out in, in their life and ministry because they no longer are experiencing the, the joy of what it really means to walk in the fruits of intimacy with Christ. And I think that, that plays into something else you talk about in your book, uh, that entitlement can creep up even if you don't mention it to anyone. And so I, I think maybe there's that, well, I do all of this. I sacrifice all of this. I get this one thing. Yeah, <laughs> let, me, let me just have this one thing, God. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's the I deserve mentality, you know, and and it's it's always the the key word is more. And, and you know, again, I, I've been a megachurch pastor. It's easy to do, and we, you know, I talked about you know the accolades of people or you know the added responsibility and so i i deserve this that or the other you know or something to compensate for the price i'm paying and you know that's where we got to realize we are simply slaves of christ and uh you know i often say it's kind of pithy but the only thing i deserve is hell and after that everything's grace <laughs> but keeping that mindset again i think is a daily battle and it's really easy in leadership to begin to think that you deserve certain privileges and and that can become a poison to the soul if you allow it to be. You talk. You mentioned uh, the verse about running the race to win the prize. And so what does that look like? Well, yeah, I think we forget what the prize is. So at the very beginning of the book, 
I ask people, you know, finish this sentence, I am called to. And how someone finished that sentence really is their idea of what the prize is, what the end game is, what the goal is. And the verse that has really rocked my world where Peter says, he says um, that the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Um, you don't get the prize for warm up. You get prize for the real game. Right. And, and I say in the book, this whole life, you know, whether it's eight years, 18 or 88, it's just all preparatory. It's all preparatory for eternal life. And our ultimate calling is, is God's eternal glory in Christ to participate in the eternal glory of Jesus someday as we cast our crowns at his feet, as he rewards us for a life of faithful service. So that's the prize we have to keep our eye on, Andrew. I always say the scoreboard is in heaven. The scorekeeper is perfect. He never misses a call. And it's the only score that ultimately counts. And everything else has to be done in light of that actual and ultimate prize. Uh, you mentioned crowns. You talk about that kind of at the end of your book, too. You know, it's yeah. it's easy to say, oh, you know, the, we're getting a treasure in heaven. But I, I like you kind of dig a little deeper into what that looks like. Yeah. And Jesus talks so much about eternity, eternal reward, uh, you know, lay not treasures on earth, but in heaven. And crowns really represent the Lord's faithful reward to our faithful life. And, and really, you know, it sounds kind of ethereal, like, you know, angels playing, you know, violins on clouds. But the reality is, and, and our vision gets clouded here in the temporariness of this life, but the real end game is that we participate in the glory of Jesus. And our crowns really are our capacity to bring glory to Him. And the Scripture talks about how we will rule with Christ. And I think uh, the reality is that that some believers will lose reward, some will gain reward. Uh, we'll we'll be perfect, so we're not going to be jealous of each other. Um, all of our cups will be full, we might say, but our cups are going to be different sizes. That's an analogy to help describe that. And I don't know about you, whatever accolades I get in this life, I just want to make sure I got the biggest cup possible in eternity that will be full of praise and glory for Jesus as I participate in His eternal rule. So Marsha DeSille had her life completely mapped out, only to have God interrupt her plans and issue a call that took her in a completely different direction. And so she's written a devotional book, which is so good, it's called Called to Inspire. And she's gonna be in the 30 Second Book Club next week. <laughs>